0: That gave you a pretty good idea of where we're headed on this now timeline, Um, because we've already done the Obadiah and Joel um, that get that starts you as to where we are in the timeline. And although I didn't write it up here, I had done it the last week. I had covered quite a few of the kings that came before, starting with Jeroboam, the who was the first king of the north of Israel, right, Uh, which is where Jonah is a. A prophet to is to the northern kingdom and so we went from Jeroboam we also lightly touched on we had Jezebel and Ahab so those kind of markers for your points of of kind of getting you uh, anchored into where we are in a timeline then at following Ahab was Jehu and then Joash and then Jeroboam the second Jeroboam the second is the next thing that is on our timeline here. I kind of put an arrow here. We're not exactly certain for positive uh, whether Jonah is before or after the second Kings record. Although it does seem likely that it comes after in my thinking, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, it's, it's still in the same time frame. The, the most important thing about that second Kings 1524 reference is that in there, Jonah is named by name. Isn't that cool? Do you guys know what Jonah did in that particular king's reference that made him so worthy of of being noted by name? What was the prophecy that he prophesied for Israel? And did it come true? If a prophet prophesies and it doesn't come true, what? He's (laughs) He's not a prophet. And what will likely happen to him in Israel? Well, at least, at least it used to be so anyway. Maybe not so much at the, this time in history, but what they would have put him to death. If the prophet is prophesying and he's not speaking truth, then it's grounds for putting him to death because he's making a claim to speak for who? The Lord God, Jehovah. And so because of the seriousness of his role and the seriousness of his calling, he can't just throw arbitrarily things out there, right? So when, for instance, when Jonah... Um, had this uh, command from God in Jonah chapter 1 to go and to preach to Nineveh. And he did not want to go, correct? And so what did he do? He fled from the presence of the Lord. Now, is that even possible? (laughs) Okay, so why do you think he fled then? Why didn't he just say no and just stay there? If you think this through a little bit, it's kind of an interesting line of thinking. They'll think about it. Yes, Kath Kathleen. He was supposed to prophesy to Nineveh that if they repented they would be saved and the and the Assyrians were extremely brutal, cruel and had you know conquered many, many countries. Okay, very good. Uh, but why then did he not just stay in Israel and not go? Why would, didn't he just stay put? Right. What was going hap- to happen to the word of the Lord coming to Jonah when Jonah would not go? Uh, it, it, it's a discipline, there was discipline because, for instance, the fish and the boat and the water and all that, right? But w- why wouldn't Jonah just stay right there in northern Israel and just not go to Nineveh? No. Why did he ran the other way? Like in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is where God is. going to do something to me here, but if I leave... Oh, maybe. Possibly. That's a good, that's a, a possibility. Although, if you are... Jonah do you think Jonah understands the omnipresence of God okay so leaving doesn't really get him out of the presence of God so God could discipline whether he was in Israel or whether he was in the ship probably right there you go very good now you're getting now you're getting well I think you're probably getting a little closer (laughs) huh No, yes, oh gosh, she's buttering me up for something. Okay, yes, because if you think about it, if the word of the Lord comes to the prophet, the prophet speaks for the Lord, and he must speak what's truthful. If he's speaking, um, if he is refusing to be obedient to God, will the word of the Lord continue to come to him? No, the Lord will will stop speaking, and Jonah pretty soon is going to have to do one of two things. Either confess his sin or make something up. <laughs> and if he makes something up and it doesn't come true, what? He might die. So I, that's another thought that came to my head was, well, maybe he left because he knew that the people there in his immediate world there in, in Israel, they knew him. How popular do you think he was based on what happened in 2 Kings 15? Nobody answered that question. What happened in 2 Kings f- uh, 15 concerning Jonah's prophecy? What was it? I think you Did I? 1524 oh <laughs> thank you uh-huh. yes you did is that 1525 yeah. okay that was the one see i oh celeste you're fired celeste <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> No more help from you. I can't handle it. <laughs> it's humiliating. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, well, I couldn't remember. Wh- I was close, though. So we did get in the area. Okay, so <laughs> I'm so glad you understand my dyslexia. This is excellent. I can blame it on that at the moment. It's an easy out. Okay, so, <laughs> all right, so in 2 Kings 14:25, what happened with Jonah? What did he prophesy? Do you remember? It says he restored
1: the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath. is that it? Yes, keep going. As far as the Sea of the
0: the Arabah. Mm-hmm. That's to the, the Red Sea.
1: servant So that. Gath-
0: okay, so that sounds to me like it's the eastern flank of all of Israel. Th- the, he restored all of the border along that side. And I remember last week we talked about. Does anybody remember what we talked about concerning him restoring that much property to Israel's hand? it was really unheard of. The, there had been kings before who had reseized smaller portions of or segments of areas, smaller uh, pieces of cities and so forth, but he did a whole, basically the whole flanking uh, eastern side of the uh, Israel's borders at that time. So he took back a lot of land that they had lost, to these other nations and so this was quite profound did it under one king his name was Jeroboam II and he did that because Jeroboam II was such a godly man right well, come on you guys don't let me get through with this why well who was Jeroboam what did it say in there about Jeroboam that he did not give up Okay. Do you remember what our? Oh, you guys are making me work hard this morning, and we're poor Lisa. She's gonna think none of you guys ever do your homework, and I know you do. <laughs> okay, remember you slept since the last class. Okay, um, I. That's my thing. I didn't sleep. So. <laughs> Remember what we said about the kings um, of Israel, that there's basically uh, two template phrases that God concludes each king's reign or rule with. One is, he did right like his father David, or he did right in the sight of the Lord, but it's like his father David, correct? In the If they did good or right in the sight of the Lord, correct? That's one choice. But then the other choice, or he did evil in the sight of the Lord, And he did not depart from whose sin? Jeroboam. Jeroboam. And that would be Jeroboam the first. This is now Jeroboam the second. Now, Jeroboam the second has also not deviated from the sins of Jeroboam, he is in the north right, the northern kingdom. They have the two cities, Bethel and Dan, where they have the calves set up, where they go to worship, which is in total violation to God's law concerning you shall worship in this place that I have set my holiness, right, where the temple was placed. And so the the kings of the north, how many of the kings of the north were good? Zero. Goose egg. And the kings of the south, some were good, some were bad. Even the ones who were good had some bad about them. So it was kind of a confusing record for us in the beginning. We were looking at this going, yeah, but he, he did this and he did this. And then, so then you're kind of confused. What is the bottom line for us determining whether he did good or did evil? Is it our interpretation of what we're looking at? No. no. What is the determination whether or not they were good or evil? God says it. It's written in black and white right there in the text for us. And the Lord said about them that they were either, they either did good in the sight of the Lord or they did evil in the sight of the Lord. God gets to make that call. And, you know, we've got a few kings in there that people are like, huh? That's not, doesn't seem quite right, (laughs) right? But we, we know because God is the one who says it. So we have to take God at his word, right? Okay, so... Now that takes us up to to where we are here, just before Jonah. Now Jonah, because we're uh, we're, you know we're not we don't have an exact dating on when the book occurred, but we do know that Jonah was a was a prophet to Jeroboam the second, so they were in the same time frame. He was the prophet that told Jeroboam, "Go out and reconquer these things. The Lord is going to give them into your hand. He's going to to bring them back to Israel's possession." And so Jeroboam did. Even though he was an evil king, he listened to his prophet and he went and he conquered and he, and he brought back many of the land areas that belonged to Israel. Okay, so then after Jonah, the ne- we, we've got the rest of this timeline. I'm just putting these on here in perspective to our subject of being judgment or compassion, right? So we get to the cross and the church age, and primarily what do you see in that time frame? Judgment or mercy? Mercy. Mostly we see the compassion and mercy of God. I'm going to put even specifically of Christ. Okay, so that's the primary thing we see in that time frame. But is there a time coming when that won't be the case anymore? When God will say, "I've drawn a line in the sand, and we have got some business to deal with here," right? So, and we call that time frame what? The great, the great judgment, or the tribulation, or Daniel's seventieth week, right? There's a time coming when God is going to uh, deal with the nations, particularly in reference to which nation? Israel. Israel. Yes, the others are important, but there is a primary. Ju- uh, purpose or goal in mind concerning Israel. And at that time in history, that's what God is going to be working towards. What is going to be the conclusion of those seven years? What happens after those seven years? Christ returns. And what does he establish? His kingdom. Very interesting. So when you're looking at the perspective of kings and prophets subject, what does what we're looking at right now, how does it relate to what's coming in the future? How do you see or what do you see in that as a message to us? What have you learned so far about kings? Are bad. Kings are <laughs> Jesus is good. <laughs> there you go. Oh, she did it so simply. That was okay, we're done. All right. Very good. <laughs> she learned it. Well, that's all you have to remember. Kings are bad. God is good. (laughs) We know that we're looking forward to a kingdom, an era in history where Jesus will come and he will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And up until then, you know, when Daniel gave his, uh, his prophecies through a statue dream, it shows that at the end of, that each of the parts of the statue represented kingdoms of men. And at the end of the time, what happens to that statue? Does anybody remember that? It's been years ago, but... It's right. Because what, is, what crushes them and crumbles them? Jesus. A great stone. And who is the great stone? Jesus. Jesus. Right. He crushes all those other kingdoms of men. And then his kingdom, it says, becomes a great mountain and fills all the earth. that's so such a beautiful thing to think of. So that's kind of the biggest picture. I mean, that's, that's really... Uh, skirting over a whole lot of details on what we've looked at, right? But it still sets you up to understand that what we're looking at here is a, is a progression of, of teaching through God's word to us through the prophets and, um, and, th- and through his messages through these men that kingdoms of men are always going to go wayward. There's going to be a problem. Even good kings can go wayward. Do you, can you think of any good kings that went wayward? Now about David, he was a good king, wasn't he? I also think about Jehoshaphat. There were some things about Jehoshaphat were in it, and the conclusion of it, how did God deem Jehoshaphat? He did good in the eyes of the Lord. He did right he did, in God's sight. But yet there were some things he gravely failed on. What, does anybody remember some of the things that he really seriously messed up? There you go. He allowed his child and the child of Ahab to marry his child, and it commingled that ki- those kingdoms again. After God, through discipline th- from Solomon, then through Rehoboam, had said, "I am dividing these kingdoms." There had been no word from God that He wanted them reunited, right? But Jerobo- or the but um, Jehoshaphat was, you know, on his own initiative, thinking this would be good. oops and then God had to really had to destroy literally he destroyed the whole house of Ahab and killed all of its descendants in order to wipe it out in order to bring it back to the Davidic bloodline in purity that God's bloodline and and then by doing so by keeping the bloodline of David pure why was that important okay day okay Jesus would come through that bloodline okay what else what was the Davidic covenant? From whose bloodline? David. David. Okay, so one of the things you remember, it's been a long time ago, but I had broke it down and showed you dynasties and how so many kings would be one dynasty and so many kings would be another dynasty. Each dynasty basically was just family name, right? It was this family and then this family and this family, and I think we had gotten down to uh, either the fourth or the fifth dynasty in the Northern Kingdom, when we broke off to do these minor prophets, so we'll pick it up again when we get back into it. But um, with with uh, Judah, how many dynasties have there been? Well, Benjamin, and Judah, and who? Under whose dynasty are they? Whose name are they under? King? Which king? David. David. It's always David's. So I just want to bring that out to your attention. One dynasty in the north, in the southern kingdoms, Judah had one dynasty, the Davidic dynasty, throughout all its generations. The northern, however, had dynasty after dynasty, and one dynasty would destroy the other, and you know one would usurp the other, and a lot of times even God intervened and Himself destroyed, like the house of Ahab or Omri. I think his, na- his dad's name was the house of Omri. So all right, so that sets out your backdrop to what we've been looking at, okay? Now, a little bit on book context that you, just that you kind of have a a filled out uh, at a glance chart. Did you do your Jonah at a glance chart? Yes? Okay, great. Let's go back. First of all, if you have to pick a theme for this book, we've not discussed this yet, so it's a good time to do this. When you look at the, jo- the book of Jonah on the whole, what have you concluded at this point would be the major theme that you see going on in here? Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, so his disobedience and God's faithfulness. Um, any others? What are some of your key words? And remember, you're, you title things based off your key words, correct? Everybody knows this, yes, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so some one-on-one training again. When you find your keywords in the book of Jonah, give me a a list. Give me some, when you did your at-a-glance chart, you should have somewhere on there a list of your major keywords, right? So what are your keywords for the book of Jonah? Calamity, Calamity, that's a big one, okay? Compassionate. Compassionate. oh, now there you go. So maybe, and who's compassionate? The Lord. How big of a key word is the Lord in this book? Big, okay. So he's big. Who who is the other character that's major in this book? Jonah. So the Lord and Jonah seem to be the two major characters, right? And the and associated with the Lord is the word compassionate as your major, secondary major keyword. So your first three keywords should be the Lord and Jonah, and then the word compassion or compassionate, right? And then uh, we saw the word calamity that comes up, the idea of calamities. Who brings calamities? The Lord does. So wh- who are we mostly learning about when we study the subject of calamities in the book of Jonah? the Lord. Although we do learn about Jonah and his behavior, but what we primarily are looking at in this, uh, you know, as believers, what we want to do is say, God, what are you teaching us through this? What we're showing is that calamities are a tool in whose hand? So calamities, do they just happen by happenstance? When they come, are they determined, appointed, performed? I mean, are they deliberate? Absolutely. Okay, so either you know we can always say it's either God's permissive will or it's His uh, perfect will. But in the book of Jonah, we do not see any calamities that occur that are not purposed, do we? So that leads us to another keyword. Do you see? Do you know of another keyword that's related to this? Appointed. appointed. There's another keyword. So uh, the idea of calamity and the word appointed would be another great keyword to have on your list. Okay. I looked at relented or. There you go. Mm-hmm. To relent. Actually, that is going to be one of our subjects we would definitely want to go into today. It was part of your homework, um, uh, I think on day three, primarily, wasn't it? that we looked at that, but where the Lord speaks about it. She wanted you to go in and look at cross-references so that you could understand this, because there is a question in the, in the mind of people that God, does God ever relent? Because the idea of relenting makes you think of what other word? Repent. To, to repent, or it could be, well, not really repent, but to change a mind, right? To change the mind. Does, how many of you been told forever and ever, God does not change his mind? Right? Exactly. So when you hit this book and you go, oh, wait a minute, God does change his mind, doesn't he? Now that you've actually had time to observe the subject matter, you've now come to say, oh, well, that's not always true. God can change his mind, right? So what we looked at this week when we did that subject study was to see when does God change his mind? How does he do so and what for what purpose? What motivates or prompt God, prompts God to change his mind? And what is it that re- God then refuses to change his mind concerning? There are some things he refuses to change his mind on, Correct but there are other things that he will relent and change his mind. So it's not a dogmatic statement that God never changes his mind. That's really an incorrect statement after what we've looked at this week, right? We've come to see that. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a sec. Okay, so keywords, any others that you want to add to our list at this point? Okay, yes, the, the, the place of Nineveh. Anytime you're looking at a historical work, people, places, and events. So we have Nineveh as one of our places, and we did some research on that, and we'll, so we'll get into that and talk on that. Um, do you know what then the, the primary purpose of this book is? We kind of talked about the theme of it being about the Lord and about Jonah. I would prefer to use words that are from your key word list, uh, so rather than maybe the word faithful, it might be good to translate that one to compassionate. We ha- Do we have a verse in here that kind of focuses in on those characteristics of God? Where is it? Wow, isn't that amazing? So that's an excellent, so if you want to look for a purpose statement, that might be one that would be excellent, because it does, it kind of accomplishes a couple of things. Number one, it draws you back to the major subject of the book, which is God, the Lord himself, and it lists a qua- the, uh, the attributes or the qualities of God that this author seems to be pushing truly, would you say, from the beginning of the book all the way through the end? How God is compassionate, and He's and He and He is relenting when people will turn right. So, if you had to kind of break that down and just to a, sta- a purpose statement, how would you want to state that? Jonah wrote this book to show us what God the Lord is compassionate or the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Yeah, and, and it is also teaching us about a response, is it not? What is the response of God when the person is repentant? repentant? Yeah, he relents concerning calamity. Wow, you got it all. You got the whole thing in a nutshell. That's pretty good. You guys did great. Okay. So, so I hope you wrote it down. <laughs> okay. And by the way, you, I broke it down then after that. But I would, but his purpose is to proclaim the Lord. He is gracious and compassionate to any who will turn to him. And then I, I broke it down into two focuses of attention. One is to the wayward believer. Who is the wayward believer in this that God was compassionate and gracious to when he relented? Jonah and to the lost soul, or to the Gentile world, or to the unsaved, or to the unbelievers. I mean, you, might, you could, you could, huh? Uh, to or to the world, exactly. Or to Nineveh, <laughs> specifically in this book, right? Okay, so that's the purpose statement then. We have the author is Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? Okay, he was a prophet. He was a a mess, wasn't he? (laughs) He was a human that was a mess like me. (laughs) Okay, all right. So let's go then and just review the first two chapters and the titles of them, and then we'll move into looking at some of the things that we did this week. The first two chapters, how are they titled? To have you cleaned up your titles at this point on those two chapters, gone back and re-looked at it? What I can tell you that I see going on through the whole book is there's like a double theme or a double message. There's one message about who God is, and there's the other message about what Jonah was going on in Jonah's life, because these are the two primary subjects in this book, right? So I kind of gave my, every one of my chapters two titles, and if you hit back and forth as you go along, it's a little more confusing. If you kind of systematically try to be consistent, it'll make your, your brain settle in a little bit better. But if you're going to go with, this is all about Jonah, then every title should be about Jonah. If you think that this whole book is really about the Lord, it should be the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, all four chapters, right? because you want consistency in how you're thinking. You want your, th- your, your thought line to be linear. For you and I, since we're looking at this from the perspective of uh, histor- the historical record of the nations of, uh, of the world at that time, and particularly of the kings and prophets of Israel, um, if God's uh, purpose for this record is for us to, s- to see the witness through the lives of these men, that men are never going to be really the king that we want, that we need, right? They're always going to fail us and be short. Even the ones that are good, like David, are still going to fall short. I mean, he committed murder and, and, and adultery for one thing, right? I mean, that alone is, are not, those are not good qualities. And yet God deemed him as a good king. So even the good kings fail us, right? Who will never fail us? Jesus will not. So when God is giving us this historical record, what as we are journeying through this, what we're looking, looking to is we're looking forward to the time when the king of kings will come and he will rule and reign over us in righteousness, right? So this is the kingdom that we are looking for here. So t- in your titling, you just kind of you kind of have to make a decision: I, Am I going this way or this way, or am I going to balance it and do both? And so I did double titles on every one of my uh, chapters. So. You guys can work that out at home on your own after this because you may not have done that already. You may not have thought about that. But now that I've thrown it out there for you, I think it's helpful for you to stay linear in, on one side or the other or balance it with both, a double, a double theme title. Okay, tell me what are your titles then for chapter one? There you go. So you, you hung on Jonah and that Jonah had fled from the presence of the Lord. Very good. That's an excellent one. That is my title. Okay. Very good. <laughs> I like it. You ching, ching. It wasn't really hard, was it? It was a little bit obvious. Okay. Yes. I, I tried to do both. The Lord sends Jonah to Nineveh by way of a great fish. Oh, that's cool. That's good. There's a lot of subtleties in that, implying certain things that you have to know about the Lord, but you see his sovereignty. You see his discipline. You see, you see a lot of things in there about who the Lord is in the fact that he, he literally forcibly took Jonah and, and moved him into, into to, uh, uh, Nineveh to go and do what he wanted him to do. Very good. All right. Excellent. Any others? Very good. That's a good one too. God gave Jonah a mission. Now that is an interesting uh, subject to bring up here too because when you think about this in the realities of real life in time for, for uh, Jonah, um, he was in ministry to God. That, it, it's like, if, do you all have a ministry? right? Whatever your ministry is, you're in service to the Lord and you're working and doing your ministry at the time. And so your ministry is to do A, B, C, or D, whatever it is. My ministry is to show up here and try to be prepared, right? To lead a a discussion of some sort. So if this is my ministry and then the Lord intervenes into my life and says, oh, stop that and go over here. Are there any thoughts on that? It really is. How rude, right? <laughs> okay. What? Am I here right? Yeah. Excuse me, Lord. You want me to go where? Right. Okay. Oh. Okay. It brings. A, it provokes in you. Um, it actually reveals in you something, doesn't it? If you're not willing to be tr- trusting, was Jonah willing? No. So, what are we starting to see about the heart of Jonah at this point?
1: Okay. But he was willing to stand before an evil king and give a message. That's what I find interesting
0: about the passage you put up there. He was a prophet to a... To Jeroboam, a, who was so rebellious. A, was a nation, and yet when asked to go to a, another outside of this, who he was, he wouldn't do it. Okay. So when you did your research, because this was on day, I think it was day one, wasn't it? When you did your research on Nineveh, correct? Right? Okay, tell me what you learned about Nineveh, and why would he not want to go? Now, we did talk about this last week some. I introduced the subject to you just a little bit. I had one of you guys read a little excerpt from my commentary. Do you remember? It was really gross. <laughs> it was horrible, the things that were... Go- so. They were yes. They went, of, they went out of their way to torture and name and peel skin off. And Unbelievable. She did her homework, <laughs> or she just remembers. But very good. It just it I know it really does stick with you. And they—they they were horrific. They were. Yes. You're so and, you're so full of and, I, and I am so mad at you. Why did you do that? He's yes. <laughs> right. Do you remember before when we were studying about Edom and we talked about the history that Israel had with Edom and how deep-seated were the the were the pains and the animosities between these two nations and why was there so much pain? Well, the same thing you have to kind of move forward into when you're looking at another nation like the Assyrian nation and specifically Nineveh, you know, how long had these animosities and vicious attacks and these wars gone on between these two uh, nations a long time, hundred, a couple hundred years or more, right? Off and on and off and on and off and on. And so how deep-seated do you think his fear and anger really were? Do we see that in our world today? Yeah. Nations that we, ha- we have distrust for, oh boy, I tell you, That's right. That it's, and that's actually a really good point, because when you're looking at the history of Nineveh, what kind of God worship do they have in their realm? A lot of, I and, it, and it's uh, polytheistic, isn't it? There's, they've got multitudes of God. Uh, I introduced one God to you last week that I felt was particularly um, uh, poignant or whatever to, to the story of Jonah. And that was that, that God worship of I, E, A. And who was he? He was the God of the ocean, right? And of the, of the water. And on their, um, on their, uh, what do you call them? The archaeological digs that they have out because I sh- I, s- I think I sent that one to you guys right on. Pic- okay, you get to see these stones that have been dug up, and on the stones you see the the king that this God uh, I on his throne, and from his throne is flowing water with fish in it, right? And so, how does that relate then to the whole storyline of Jonah showing up in Nineveh saying, "I was swallowed by a great fish"? Yeah. I mean, that's Pretty profound, don't you think, of a of an insight when you do your historical study. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. his. What, don't you imagine that part of, and I know it's true, uh, the sensationalism of things that draw people to come and listen to a speaker, right? Often they've got some kind of a gimmick. Um, not that this was a gimmick, but it was certainly a sign. Now, in the New Testament, does Jesus speak about that? That there's the sign of Jonah, right? What was the sign of Jonah in conclusion? What was that about? What does that mean, the sign of Jonah? He was 3 days and 3 nights in the in the belly of a fish and that equals it being what? The like, the like the resurrection and also a miracle, right? So when Jonah was spit up, was at a, mir- a miraculous event. So the sign of Jonah was the miracle that he survived in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, and then was spewed out or saved, right? Re- basically resurrected from the dead in essence, um, in, in kind of a um, allegory or a metaphor maybe to it. And so he spit up onto the, to the shore by a fish, To a nation, then, he goes and speaks to and gives testimony about something that they go, whoa, we have a God. And he's going, look, I got a God that's bigger than that. My God rescued me from your God. Right? Your your God spit me up at the command of my God. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Hmm. See? Yeah, so yes, huh? In, in Acts, uh huh.
1: So I kept thinking, how can he, I mean, is that right to use a, a false God to introduce the God? Because it seemed to me that would be kind of weird. But in this case, my God made your God, which is not real,
0: right. right? Right. So what it, what At I mean, his command, he, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> Whatever opens the door, and all is fair in love and war. That's right. Okay, so let's get started then on looking at some of these subjects that we've looked at this week. So we have Jonah, let's go to chapter 1. So we had chapter 1 was uh, Jonah fled. Uh, God's presence, I don't know if I've got room here, God's presence. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that that's, although he doesn't exactly elaborate on that in this book, but if you ponder for just five seconds, knowing um, Jonah's understanding of who his God is. He knows he cannot flee from the presence of the Lord because his Lord is not the Lord of the ocean. Do you remember when we did Ezekiel? There were there were also kings of certain valleys and of certain hills and therefore they would go to certain places because they thought their God would act on their behalf because they had a, and the Lord got really angry at Ezekiel's pe at the people that Ezekiel was um uh, witnessing to, saying, I am not the God of this land, right? I'm the God of what? The heavens and the seas. God made it all. And so in this book, that's, I think, the prevalent message is that he's not limited to one time, time and space. It says that he created everything, the seas and the land. He created the heavens and the earth, So he created it all. It's one of the first things that's introduced to us when we read chapter one and the the men on the ship who are frightened for their life are saying, you know, who is your God? And he says, my God created the, the, the land and the sea. Okay. So Jonah fled God's presence and the Lord did what? Hurled a storm, appointed a fish. Okay, so that's chapter 1. Now chapter 2, what did you see there? We'll move into that real fast because we want to get these titles. Mm-hmm. Jonah's change of heart. Jonah's <laughs> change of heart, that's right. And so Jonah, and, and how do we see his heart changing? What do we see demonstrated for us? What is the key word in chapter 2 about? Praying. Yeah. Because although the word prayer is not necessarily used over and over and over, the whole thing is about his prayer, right? So it's prayer is your key word there. So Jonah prayed and at when he prayed, what was the result of praying to God and going back to recognizing his Lord? God, God responded. So Jonah prayed, he repented he even rededicated his vow, right? So you can expand on that, what the prayer resulted in, that he he repented, and he rededicated himself, or he um, confirmed his vow, correct? When he said that, I will keep my vow to the Lord. So Jonah prayed, and what what about the Lord? Okay, so we're going to put it here. He commanded... Um, The fish, I'm using words from the text, Jonah up on dry land, I hate that word, vomit, (laughs) but it's in my title. (laughs) Because it's in the text. Again, when you title your passages, it's best to try to use words directly from the text and not come up with your own. Because if you do, if you do come up with your own, then the problem is, is you end up sometimes even changing the focus of what's really going on. I mean, the major subject here we've seen our key words are about God's compassion and uh, the two people are the Lord and Jonah, and you just want to stick with what it says. So the Lord commanded the fish. Now, it did say, or you could say, the Lord saved Jonah. That would be another real simple way of doing it. He speaks of that, does he not, at the close of chapter two? What does he say about the Lord there at that in that verse? Yes, yeah, salvation is from the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So you could even say Jonah confesses that, that Salvation is from the Lord, okay. And the Lord, the Lord, saved Jonah. All right. Now, um, okay. So we've done real good. We've looked at the book context. We've looked at uh, the the themes of the first two chapters. Now we're into three and four. And we looked on day one. So go to day one and two. We looked at Jonah. What do we know about Jonah? from um, our first day's homework. This is going to be day one and two. Mm -hmm. Just, we're trying to make our list on what we have learned about Jonah, because what we're going to do is we're going to try to hit on the, the different subjects that will come up as you're making your list, now this is what the purpose for list making is, you guys. As you're making lists on your ma- on your marked key repeated words, when you f- when y- when you do that, certain subjects or certain statements will come up that trigger an I- a peak of interest and also that highlight for you how imp- the importance of it potentially. Right. So with Jonah, sometimes you just start out going, "Okay, well, he's a prophet. Um, he's the son of who." Amittai in 1-1, right? Um, and in, verse 3, in chapter 3-2, what does it say that, that God did with him concerning where he was to go? Did, does it show us in chapter 3 a, a repeat of something that happened in verse 1-1? Yeah, what do we see about Jonah here? Who He was what? Okay, he was appointed to proclaim God's message or God's word to Nineveh. And so we know, I'm just going to put 3-2 on there because that's the chapter we're in. Uh, We're in chapter 3, just so you have that up there. Okay, now when he was appointed to go and proclaim God's word to Nineveh, what did he do? Back in chapter 1, what did he do? He fled from the presence of the Lord. I'm sorry, I jumped back to 1 just for this one point here. And then in chapter 3, now what does he do? He rose and went. (laughs) Finally. I think we don't want to do that, that repeat on the other, was that in uh, 3-3? Oh no, where was it that he rose? Yeah, 3-3. Okay, thank you. All right, so now, so what comes up from here is the subject of the prophet, and Kay had us look to see basically what it means to be appointed as a prophet, what does the word appointed mean? Now we've kind of looked at the word appointed already once before because we we looked at the subject that a fish was appointed, right? To swallow Jonah. What does it mean to be appointed? Let's, let's do a word study on that. Appointed. That was one of the words she asked you to look up. It's number 5414. And what was your... Definition. It's basically is a review, so shouldn't be too hard for you. I thought it was interesting that the things that were appointed were all nature things. You know, it was like he appointed the plant to grow. They weren't wasn't like Jonah who had a, a will, a decision to make. They were mm-hmm. things that God said do this yes. and they didn't right. do Okay, in the, in the book of Jonah, you're absolutely right. The things that were appointed were things that God commanded and that simply was done, right? You're right. But when it comes to the subject of a prophet, and that's what we're looking at right now, that Jonah is the fact that Jonah is a prophet, right? He was appointed to Nineveh. He was a prophet. He was a prophet of the Lord, by the way. And so what is the duty and the role of a prophet? So but first let's look at the word appointed so we understand what it means. What does it mean to be appointed? Uh, Assign, ordain, commit, dedicate. Very good. I find it, see, once you got going, you just were on a roll there. Uh, in trust. Okay, so there's a lot of words on that, the idea of even trusting and appointing it. So back when you look at, yes, I'm sorry, Martha. You know what, I may have gone into a different Bible dictionary from the Strong's because sometimes the Strong's gives one thing, and then my other one will give something else just slightly different. But it seems to, to me, make better sense. Yep, yep, yes. So if my number is off, and I I don't know which one I pulled this one from, I may have pulled this from the um, Dictionary of Biblical Languages or something like that, that might be where I got my number. I'm sorry, so what was your number again? 4487. That makes you what? Oh, I'm so glad. Well, you know what? When you guys don't answer, I just write my answers down. <laughs> so, and then you have to trust I did my homework. <laughs> I'm sorry, but yes. Okay, so I, sometimes I have others. I Often, I've got a list in here. When I go and do my word studies, and I don't know if you guys do this or not, but, but for instance, let me just show you. We looked at the word. Here's like the word believe. Well, I did believe with the Strong's. I did believe with the Dictionary of Biblical Languages. I did it with the Greek Lexicon, and then I also looked into uh, my commentary. This called Commentary Critical and Explanatory. And what he does is he does his own word study and then gives a, a conclusion. I always put it last. Actually, more like it's more like commentary. It was doing so well. Oops, I'm sorry. I have to hide in my corner here. Okay. Okay, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay, yeah, don't show homework. (laughs) That's cheating. (laughs) God's after you. Okay, so, but I just wanted to explain this to you too, because I think it's a really good habit. If you expound your word studies into two or three different dictionaries, first of all, some dictionaries will actually give you your actual uh, scripture reference in its explanation somewhere. It'll say Jonah chapter three, whatever, and it'll say, and then you'll know you have the exact correct uh, word for word translation by doing that. Uh, Strong's, often we'll hit it on the nail, and you'll have it, and you'll see the reference, and you you don't even really need to move on further, but I like to go beyond just one uh, dictionary. I think it helps me get a a bigger picture of the word, and also sometimes I get other insights, other cross references. On my Bible program, I can, uh, uh, you know, click on the highlighted, things like are like blue highlighted and it'll actually take me to that verse and I can look at that same word in a different scripture verse and I can see how it reads and what's been said there sometimes that helps me if a word is complicated this was not a com- unpointed is not a complicated word but sometimes there are words that are more difficult um, so that's why sometimes my numbers are a little different because I picked up on the on one of the other definitions okay Sure. Yeah, I, I can definitely do that. Dictionary of Biblical Languages is one, but I don't have the full title because it says a, it's with do, uh, semantic domains or something like that, and I don't even really for sure know what all that means. Uh, <laughs> English Greek Lexicon, and the the author or the the printer on that is L O U N I D A Lonita. And I don't know who that is either, but that's who it is. Um, and then there's the Strong's, and then I have another Strong's. That's an expanded Strong's dictionary. That's another one I use often. Okay, you're welcome. All right, so that's some little tips on word studies that are helpful. Okay, let me see what I've got going here. All right, now, okay. So this gives us an idea what it means to be appointed. Now, if you are an appointed prophet then you have been assigned, ordained, committed, dedicated, and entrusted with something, correct? Does that now really kind of go well, a little different light for me on how I might view this rebellion of Jonah as well, right? So then Kay asked us to go in and look at, um, uh, for instance, wait a second, let me find it. Where is my... She had us look at Ezekiel. Where is it? Oh, th- here. here, Ezekiel 3, 16 to 21. And what did you learn about Ezekiel? And uh, this is a review for most of us, too, who did that study before. Uh, for those of you who didn't, just, you know, go with the flow. She just gave you a few verses to look at. Page 37. Yes. 27. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's 27. Yeah, 27. And that's still in day two of your homework. So what did you learn about Ezekiel as a prophet? What was his responsibility that he was ordained assigned to take? Okay so a point Um uh, Aisha right Was it was a prophet? So the the cloak was a marker for them. Up here we see the speed. boy. That's too important. Lord. I well I can't. I have to record sorry. Listen what? What was the result of if a person listens to a prophet when he speaks? Then the prophet is is considered saved or safe, right? He's not held accountable or responsible, however, for the result, right? If the person listens, great. Right? Yay! But if the person doesn't listen, the blood's on their own head because they were told the truth, correct? But if the prophet does not go as God tells him to and speak God's truth, then what? Why is that? Because he wasn't being Pardon? There you go. We need to his job, and he did not fulfill his role as the ordained speaker, how can they repeat (laughs) hand.
1: Who said that?
0: (laughs) Okay. Not really, but it means basically they don't know the truth. They don't have true knowledge of God. Therefore, if the what is the one in the New Testament that talks about that? That if you don't go, how can they hear? If they don't hear, how can they In order for accountability on the basis of who's going to hear, right? If they don't ever hear, what is their measure of accountability to the Lord? Higher or lower for those who have heard? although God says you're still without excuse because the heavens declare his glory and so forth in Romans 1, we, and we don't have time to cover that, but um, there is, there is a, always an evidence of God uh, in the world around you, whether you hear the gospel or you don't, but God specifically is saying if they hear, can't turn. If they can't turn, then who's at fault for that? You are because you didn't do your job, right? So that's what's going on. So Jonah, how's he doing? Not so hot, right? Now here in chapter three, we begin to see the turn. We begin to see what the message here in this is about Jonah and why it's important for you to understand the accountability that Jonah really has before God in the role that he's been given. You know, he, he doesn't get to just say, oh, I don't feel like going and that's okay. Because he had, he has, according to chapter two, and at the close of his prayer, what had he and God? What kind of an agreement had he had with God? He He has a vow before the Lord. Now that's interesting. What does the word vow evoke in your mind? What covenant? The subject of covenant. So he has a covenant with God, and in that covenant, God has ordained him and appointed him to be a spokesman. And if he refuses to go, he's literally breaking his covenant, is he not? Um, there was another one. Let me see if I can find it. Because. the. right it is very interesting because although paul was not considered a prophet what was he an apostle an apostle is one who is sent also ordained and did paul have a specific calling that he was to go to the nations in particular that he was to go to the gentile world who who gave him? i am going to send you to the nations all right. So Paul, how did he fulfill his, his ability? Yes. And so we contrast that with, with Jonah. Does it give you a better perspective maybe on really this, the sin that's being committed here in the life of Jonah at this point? Now tell me what you think about Jonah standing with God then in this. He's walking on thin ice in in regards to his obedience. obedience. That's right. Does it put his salvation in jeopardy? No. No, it does not. So that you know that for sure. What we're looking at here is the difference between God's discipline for his own and God's judgment for those who don't yet know him. There is a distinction between the believer and the unbeliever, but God's desire for both, according to what we looked at in day five, is what? that all men should come to know him, that none should perish, no, not one, right? Um, the verse I was just thinking about is in um, Eze- Ezekiel 24. Go to Ezekiel 24. That was on page 31 of your homework, if you need to look there. Ezekiel 24, 13 and 14. Somebody have that? that they can just read that out loud. Mm-hmm, 24, 13 and 14. Okay, is that it?
1: I, the Lord, have spoken. It is coming, and I will act. I will not relent. I will not pity, and I will not be sorry according to your ways and according to your deeds. We'll judge you, declares the Lord.
0: Okay, so that was on the subject of God's relenting. When does he relent? When does he not relent? But I also see this tie into the, the prophet, too, as far as um, his responsibility to go to the world and to teach them and so forth. And when is it that uh, how are these people to, to turn? He, here in this particular one, he speaks about those who refuse to be cleansed. What does that mean? Refuse to re- repent. There you go. They refuse to turn to God. They refuse to repent. They refuse to hear the word of God and uh, respond, right? It says in their forgiveness is Did anybody look up any of those words by chance? Or or do you have a concept? This is lewdness. Your sin is because you broke covenant, and so that's how God. The prophet wants him to go and tell them what he's been appointed to do. That's his role. That's his responsibility. responsibility. Okay. Um, when Nineveh heard, what? Yes. Isn't that, you know, it's really funny because even though they only give us seven or eight words, do you think that's all that was said? Well, what do you think? Bleached from head to toe. He's had a fish spit him out on on the soil. Do you think he gave him any of those bits of information as he spoke these specific seven or eight words? What was the seven or eight words? In 40 days, the, yes, now what does that mean? It should be overturned. It will be conquered. So God is going to turn it over to an enemy, and it is going to be conquered. And so what do you think the rest of the message had to have been? Yeah, who's going to overturn us? okay? Uh, my God is going to do that. My God says that you are going to be overthrown in 40 days because of what? Because of wickedness. Now, their next question would be, who's your God, right? So then's going to come the story, my God is the God who sent me to you, and this is how he sent me. He probably. I would imagine, expounded on his journeys on the ship and how that fish threw him up on the beach and how his God is, the, is, his God is greater than their God. His God is commanding the fish who spit him up and his God is the power to save, right? Because he saved him. This is interesting. When you compare Jonah's situation to Nineveh's situation, who is Jonah? A prophet of God. Right? So he's actually God. He belongs to God, and yet he is being disobedient. Who do you think has the greater offense at this point? Jonah or the Ninevites? Jonah. He has the greater sin because of his direct defiance against the God he is in covenant with. That word of lewdness in his, um, what was it? Lewdness in his, filthiness in his lewdness, right? That's what Jonah was actually doing. He was breaking his covenant, and in many ways, not not, and being rebellious and disobeying. Ezekiel 36. We just look Ezekiel three. We see that if the prophet goes and tells, he's he's cleared right before the Lord. But if he doesn't go, what? The blood's on his head because he has not told them. Therefore, he's left them to die in their sins. Did you did you understand the relationship of that and the Matthew reference that you looked at, where it said that um, um, to think it in your heart is to commit basically to commit murder, right? Um, and and it and somebody have that one. If they can, Okay. Tell me what it says. Okay. So here we have God's prophet who's been appointed to go and teach or to speak God's word. He is refusing. Therefore, these people are going to remain in their sin. So, can you? And why is he not going to go? What was his response to God's compassion? Yeah. It, and the, what was the key repeated word? Anger. So here we have Matthew that says, "Leaves them in their sin, then you're guilty of." Anger. you have lost a soul to to eternal damnation because you refuse to go now the good just so you don't know, you know this is if there is is a possibility for salvation in that person's life will god still send someone will god still get the message to them yes so you could absolutely rest assured no one, if there is any opportunity for god will make sure they have a messenger but does that negate your responsibility if you're the one God sent? No. So in this case, what we're looking at is who had a responsibility to go, refused to go, and was committing in the eyes of God. That's what the story was doing at this point? profound when you really get down to to looking at it more deeply then, you know the superficial story of Jonah and the whale that we hear from Sunday school does not do it justice when you look at what Jonah was was doing in this story but the the flip side of this now lord let's move over to the lord because we've only got about an hour I wish that weren't. So, were not so our speaker system in here fixed? You don't think so? Never. Well, I've been here 15 years. It's never happened. I, I should know that. <laughs> All right. Um, what have we learned? About the Lord? Let's start with day five seven about the Lord. These were cross-references that you looked at. You looked in Ezekiel 33 and jo- uh, John 3 and First Timothy 2, Second Peter. Tell me, what do we learn about the Lord's about the Lord's attitude or the Lord's passion? <laughs> okay, He desires the wicked. Now, give me which reference you're in. Oh, okay. In the death of the wicked. He, okay. Okay. Let me get the wording up. No pleasure in the death of the wicked. However, do not turn, what happens? they do die in their sin. Although God takes no pleasure in it, God does destroy the wicked if they will not turn, right? Why is that? What characteristic about God is it that it requires for God to do that? His righteousness. That's exactly right. Good job. Okay, so that's Ezekiel in 33 11. What else do we learn about? Those references. <laughs> oh, does that sound familiar to Jonah? They do not know their right, right hand right and passion. Yeah, that's really cool. Sinners who repent. But he also had concern for the just so, no, however, do not control and they do not die on of us wish our pet dogs and kitties were in heaven with us. But we do not have an eternal kind of set that up. Because you notice that God doesn't talk about preaching the gospel. <laughs> okay, He has compassion on sinners who repent, and that's in four eleven. From is that Ezekiel or what book? Jonah. Oh, that's Jonah. That's right. That's why I didn't put the name down. I thought I remember it. Okay. <laughs> what about in First? Okay, so these are pretty straightforward statements, We're familiar with. They're not into the context of with with Jonah. What we see is he he does he does have some good, and yet what God is saying to me. Evangelist evangelicals. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, either I'm just saying it's not not to be an event. It's it to do it, right? But but think of being a part of his primary. God and bringing people, bringing back the wayward sinner or the wayward believer, right? Bringing them toward. And yet, people in that city. One hundred and twenty. Oh <laughs> Los Angeles that you know of, including like a Billy grant and on the for boy, if he had twenty thousand people in. In one swoop, all repent. The entire city. He didn't believe they were probably really repentant. No, he.
1: I bet I don't believe he, be- he believe that they.
0: learn about the toward the subject of anger now <laughs> well, in journey to be right to be angry for okay so go ahead Wait, gotcha. and you I mean and who and who it and having and displeased him? I don't know that Maybe looking the city what's it that you know fire and so you know, It half heartedly and then it, it that's a real possibility. I didn't look at that. That I guess I missed that point. That's good. Yes, was it really quick and then oh, yeah. I'm so glad you bring this up. Okay. or the word also I really like is decree because the, through word study it cannot be undone it, when the king says it it's it's a it's particularly in those persian uh they have, it is remember right and so the, all of Now, it's very interesting. He didn't say that they would, he decreed that they have to, but he decreed that they had to do what? And do what? Earnestly seek the Lord. I loved that. This is the decree. You earnestly seek the Lord. I'm not saying that I'm who's in charge of demanding that you turn to faith. Christ is not something you can force on someone. You cannot make them. lead So this is not that you must. And and basically, the result of that was this: the whole, the whole, one hundred thousand. The commentaries talk about the children now do we have information through the New Testament to, un- to to know for sure when it says they turned it yes exactly so I love that or that that moment in history with Nineveh, when Jonah preached to them, the entire city turned. And they will rise up at the judge for some, um, or somewhere like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those yeah. Ninevites have seen... Oh, I'm really disappointed. Like <laughs>
1: wanna-
0: okay, so let's look at that. Let's go into, um. organized for you to to get to you later. There. Okay. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So in, in Nathan chapter 1, verses 12 to four, what's shown to us about these people who had at one time Jonah sp- spoke to them, now what have they returned to? king himself had been the, um, the promoter, basically. They returned and interestingly, there's one verse that says, And they plotted against whom? Did you catch that one? In verses 14, 12 to 14 of Nahum 1. They're leaders, I think it said. know we had time i almost wonder why she it conflates two subjects and it's let's have lunch, honey. <laughs> oh. want to be guilty of doing the same types of things that Jonah is doing. We don't want to be viewed by God as one who and from being a, a willing and where this woman is in speak to another group of women. I know you all know him. But, and him. The set defense but anger and pulled up and became visceral. Even she had some kind of a legitimate thought in some of the, her. when you turn to that, or that kind of rage, what does it do about? You? Thank you I was wanting to hear, it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And and those who are angry in that level literally according to Matthew they commit also murder people if you say raka to your brother you've committed murder right this is a an evil slant, slander uh sworn against or yelled at another individual human being. So we have a subject here then that really comes into our world today that you and I can really ponder on. I would really highly recommend you spend some time really thinking about this subject of anger and how God feels about it, how he deals with Jonah concerning it and those cross-references that we looked at to see what does God think about anger and how should we handle it? What should we be doing? Can we, So how are we to treat how are we to treat our enemies? And people that we, even if they're not our truly our enemy, but we view them as such, how are we to treat them according to page 37? You looked at Romans 12 and 1 John 2 and 3. And 4. Wow. Amazing. So there's Jonah. He's he's God show compassion on people, after they repented, after they put up, God saw what the Ninevites did, right? And he had compassion and relented. Jonah saw what the Ninevites did, and he gets mad at God. This anger did the opposite of of what God... Had. You are to seek every opportunity to live at peace with your brother, if at all possible. Now, there are where you don't have total control but on those areas that you do and not only that but even if they won't live at peace with you you still have a choice on how you're going to respond right how do you think there you go i mean yeah okay good when when you know what (laughs) it's my yes no, but but you know what? I I I have gone there in my mind, and good question. Want to. Where does God want? When does God want us? what is our response? Right. That's true.
1: Well, or even if
0: there's harm being done to others. Like right. Tracking
1: or whatever these people things are, when when do we take some
0: physical action? Okay. Is it ever wrong to take action? The the answer would probably be in just but what would be the one line in the sand that says do not go there? Do you never you shouldn't you should not commit what does God say about laws of the land? We do the best of our ability, right now, when it comes to are you going to obey God or are you going to obey man? Who do you obey? God. Now, however, keep in mind if the laws of your land uh, say that what you're going to do, right, is an illegal thing, you have to be willing to weigh in the balance and and receive the just the. Just Yeah right, right yeah, yeah it's a whole
1: complication is some people are going to say God says this is wrong and other people are going to say no you are wrong so everybody's going to have can use God as an excuse for their point of view. See what I'm saying? Yep, a lot of yep. Do it right.
0: They sure do. They all they all think that that. And I'm not saying you need. Well, my thought is you, it's yes, you can't always be passive. But right, you have to right. Really So what do you think is the answer in all this? How do we come to make a wise decision about how we handle what we perceive as an injustice that's going on in our world? Number one, it starts by truly knowing God's standards and truth on that subject. Correct? Okay. So that means you and I have to be thoroughly educated, which is what we're doing here. Yay. Right. And beyond that? Okay. Absolutely. Always. Once you know the truth, you speak the truth. Okay. Right. Thank you. Prayer in this decision, going to handle injustices, is anger. Right. Def- and help want us to back from not ever, but we do it to the best of our ability because of the laws of God's moral truth and moral uprightness, because the first and foremost, you have to always remember, if Jesus Christ, are wearing the covenant coat of Christ, right, that says, across your back, I belong to Jesus. So all your behavior should be that which glorifies your Father who is in heaven, that there'll be no door open, no platform to call what you've done is right? defile God. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Good. Excellent, Lisa.
1: I'm
0: nasty woman. But, you know, she's I'm sending her a copy of this tape. just want. to. to the, the goodness of God that lives in you? How do you know if somebody truly knows the Lord according to 1 John? By their fruit. But that they love their brother. He who says that they love God but they do not love their brother, what? They are a liar. Yeah. So people who claim the Lord but yet hate are not people who truly know God. It's one of those tree by the messages again. God knows. than the unsaved world. Jonah's anger, was it a righteous anger? No. No. So, conclusion is, Jonah was way out of line. What do you think motivated Jonah? Self? That's really what it comes down to. Feels that this nation deserved judgment, right? Then he was about the bigger picture. To you. It was not in your <coughs> This is a lesson. Surely you set the wicked in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terror. Read this in this highlighted.
1: was Envious of the arrogant. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set the wicked in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their... taken hold of my right hand with your counsel you will guide me